That rain reminds me of our days in Fiji. We were met in a little house church, but we had a metal roof. And I remember distinctly some Sundays yelling at the top of my voice, trying to preach to a group that doesn't, didn't go as far as where Charlie Hopkins and uh, uh, Sharon is. And just after a while, I was like, I got to quit. So don't be praying for more rain. <clears throat> Uh, because they can turn up the mic, so don't worry about being heard. If you can't hear, just raise your hand, and I'll tell them to turn it up a little more. Uh, intimacy with God means knowledge. The, the biblical word is knowledge. You look at the, read the scriptures, and when it talks about knowing God, that's talking about this intimacy with God. And knowing God implies spending time with God as uh, Barian was talking about. We spend time in the Word and prayer with one another, learning from one another, getting to know God better, uh, growing closer to Him through that knowledge of Him. And so when we come to this portion of our assembly where we're looking at the Scripture, my goal is always to lift up in front of you God, His character, His personality, His desire along with Christ as it's manifested through Christ. And that's, to me, the beauty of going through the Scripture is because it reveals to us God in the way He wants Himself to be revealed. And today we're going to be looking at what I'm calling an open secret. Everyone loves a secret. And so we're going to talk about a secret today. So pay attention or you're not going to know what the secret is, even though you probably already know the secret. Let's read verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The very first step into receiving these spiritual blessings that we looked at in verse 3, the very first thing that has to happen in order for God to view us as holy and blameless, as we saw in verse 4, before you can know the joy of adoption, you have to be redeemed. Being redeemed, I was thinking about it this week, it just means going from one state or one condition to another condition. And the Bible describes this over and over in different ways. Going from lost to saved. When you're redeemed, you go from unholy to holy. When you're redeemed, you go from orphaned to being adopted. From being in sin to being in Christ. And the Bible just keeps describing many, many different ways of what happens when we move from one part, from darkness to light, and on and on. From at that point of redemption. And tied up in redemption, we looked at is our value last week. Our value, what we're worth in God's sight, is tied up in redemption. Uh, he paid for us with the blood of Christ and Value is determined, the value of something is determined by what you are willing to pay for it. 
And if God was willing to redeem you by the blood of bulls and goats, you would be worth bulls and goats. But we're not worth that little. It shows us justice. Nothing more precious than his blood can redeem us. It leads us to this relationship of lordship. He paid for our release from slavery into sin. And so now he must be our master. He paid the price. And so we're looking at this word redemption in verse 7, but also the word forgiven that we just briefly touched on. And again, we're going to briefly touch on this because I think a couple of years ago I spent five full sermons on forgiveness. And so we're just going to touch on it and not spend that much time in it. Some consider this, these are synonyms. Redemption, forgiveness means the same thing. And the result is the same thing, but they actually have shades of meaning, different shades of meaning. The word forgiveness, do you remember what that, do you remember what it meant? Remember back a couple of years ago, I tied on this chair balloons. Do you remember that? Does anyone remember that? I, I don't, yeah, some, okay. Because some of you had to clean the balloons out of the ceiling later on. When I released the balloon. And that's what the word forgiveness, this particular word forgiveness means is to let it go, to let it go, to send it away. And so many times we hang on to the hurt that, we, that has been imposed on us. We don't let it go. And when, I, when I've counseled people, I've tried to say, when you're forgiving someone, it's not saying what they did is okay, but it's saying, I'm going to let you go and I'm turning you over to God. And let God deal with the situation. And so in the same way, when God forgave us, he let go our sins. He sent them away. And there's some beautiful passages in Psalms and in Micah and other places, but these I just chose. He says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. You know, if you walk north, eventually, if you live, eventually you'll start going south. Once you hit the North Pole, you'll start going south. But if you walk west, you'll never hit the East Pole. You will continue walking west forever, as long as you can walk. And so when he said, as far as the east is from the west, he says it's not measurable how far he has removed our transgressions from us. And then in Micah chapter 7, he has hurled our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He has flung them. That's what the word actually means, to fling or to hurl. Back in 1960-something, 60 67 or so, we were on a ship uh, crossing the Pacific. The huge, we'd stay in the Pacific for days and days and days going at whatever knots an hour, 20, 30 knots an hour. I don't know how fast the boats were going. And each time I, I found a bottle, I got a bottle, and I put a note in it and put it in the bottle and stuffed it. And I was so excited about throwing this in the middle of the ocean. And then one day, maybe someone would write me and say, I found your note in somewhere. And I hurled that bottle. And I remembered the, the, the bottle bobbing on the water as, it, as it, we left it behind. That bottle will never be found, I don't think. It's in the depths of the ocean somewhere. It'll, it's, you cannot discover it. And, and in the same way, God says, God has taken your sins and he has hurled them into the depths of the ocean. When we're forgiven, our greatest problem is ourselves. We are the ones that hold on to our sins while God lets them go. We're the ones who cling to our guilt 
while God has flung them into the deep ocean. And the good news, as I've said before, is so good that we struggle to believe it. How can God forgive me for what I've done? And yet over and over he tells you he's done it. What's the difference between redemption and forgiveness? And I'd like to illustrate it this way, and I believe I've done this before, but it's a great illustration, so bear with it if you haven't heard it, or have you have. If you got into debt, let's say several hundred thousand dollars, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, you could not pay it. And your creditors were about to foreclose on your house and take your car and take your bank account. They were going to garnish your wages for probably the rest of your life. You could not pay the debt. And if I heard about that and I came and I paid that debt, that's redemption. The debt's been paid. You have been redeemed. But then if I say, but listen, don't ever do that again. And if you do, don't come to me. That's the last time I'm ever going to do that. You got yourself in trouble, you get yourself in trouble again, bail yourself out. You are, for, you are redeemed, but you are not forgiven. On the other hand, after I redeem your note, I say, listen, I'm going to help you. Don't do that again. But if you ever start getting into trouble, before it gets bad, come to me and let's deal with it. I'll take care of those problems again. If they come up, look, we're going to do some counseling together, some financial counseling. We're going to work together so you never get in that situation again. But if you do, don't go to someone else. You come to me so I can take care of your debt. Now you're forgiven and redeemed. You see the difference? When God redeemed us, he took care of the note. He took care of the payment. But when he forgives us, he says, and if you get yourself in that situation again, I want you to come back. And the power of forgiveness is in the blood of Christ, it says. It's so effective. Forgiveness is so complete. Forgiveness is so, so good that it results in complete restoration of a relationship with God. God, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become God's righteousness. That's the power of the blood of, of, of Jesus. The book of Hebrews is beautiful, and this, it just, it's so deep, so many things that can be said. But let me read from chapter 10, just a few verses that talk about this complete forgiveness that we're given. Chapter 10, verse 10 says, And by that will, and this is God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That means completely, forever. That's how powerful his blood is. And then verse 14, a beautiful passage, says, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If you could just grasp that one passage and hang on to that that's one good memory verse that you can hang on to. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are in this process of being made holy. And then in verse 17, he says, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. God speaking, I'm not going to remember your sins and your lawless acts. And he says, and where these have been forgiven, 
There is no longer any sacrifice for sin. There is no need for you to sacrifice anything for your sins because God has already done it. And we struggle with that. This forgiveness through his blood makes it impossible for us to treat sin lightly. If we ever can really see the price that he's paid, we will not pat sin on the head and say, that's okay, it's okay. We will not treat our own sin lightly. We won't treat other people's sin lightly. It brings our sins into light. It deals with them completely. It it deals with them uh, effectively on the cross. Anyone who considers the cross of Christ, truly considers the cross of Christ and his sacrifice, will not take their sins lightly. They will make changes in their lives. The source of this redemption and this forgiveness, and we start seeing the personality of God here. It comes from an abundance, a wealth of grace. It says, in accordance to the riches of God's grace. And that word, the riches of God's grace, is the word in the Old Testament that, used, that is used for Solomon's wealth. His great wealth where it said, you know, gold was like silver and silver was like bronze. And there was so much bronze, it was like rocks on the, you know, just rocks. So wealthy was the time in Solomon's day. And he says this is according to, this is by his dominion, this is under God's control. God's redemption and his forgiveness is controlled by the wealth of his grace. Your personal debt, if I was good friends with you, would be controlled by the wealth that I have. So don't get into great debt. (laughs) But this forgiveness and redemption is controlled by the wealth of God's grace. And because we're a people of limited grace, and because we're a people of limited forgiveness, I think sometimes we impose the same on God. One reason we have a hard time seeing God forgiving me out of the wealth of his grace is because I'm so stingy with the wealth of my grace. We lack the faith to believe the extent and power and wealth of his grace. How great is the wealth of God's grace? What limits do we put on God's grace? You can only answer it for yourself. But biblically, the limits of God's grace are not limited, unlimited. And then we see this effect, this per- and I want to say the personal effect on us. This wealth of grace is not potential grace. It's not grace that might come, but it's active grace. God has already done this because he says he lavished it on us. And we, we read that in past tense. And the tense there is a, a, a tense that points back to the cross, to that, that point. And he said he lavished it at the point of the cross that his active grace effectively, successfully, and completely forgave us and redeemed us. That's what the word means. And this word lavished, I love the word lavished. It's one of my favorite English words. I like words. I'm not really good at words. I like words. I like reading about them, discovering them. But the word lavished is one of my favorite English words. It means an abundance that goes beyond the expected measure. In the Greek, it means just more of superabundance. And we get this word from a French word that just means a downpour of rain. He's lavished it on us. God's not stingy. He lavishes grace on us in superabundance. Other places he says grace upon grace. 
He didn't just give us grace, but he gave us grace upon grace upon grace, lavished it upon us. Romans 5 talks about this, verse 15, where he's, he, he says, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow, that's lavish, lavish to the many. And so he's trying to get us to see there in Romans, look how much God has done for you. And here it says it lavished on us, but in the original language it says he lavished into us. He actually lavished this into us. God's grace penetrates our very being. If we, if we think about it, if we concentrate on this, if we meditate on it, God's grace is coming into our very being. It's becoming a part of us. It changes our lives. It changes our relationship with him, and it should change our relationship to one another. To understand and to center our thoughts on the riches of God's grace should, and really I believe does, lead to wonder, appreciation, thankfulness, awe, other words that I can't think of. Let me ask you, this goes along with what Berrien was saying. What do you think about? Where's the meditation of your heart? Often, for me, it's in the everyday irks of the world. I couldn't think of a better word, irk. <laughs> Sometimes you irk me. <laughs> Not you, I'm, I'm just, that's an illustration. <laughs> you never irk me. The irks of the world, you know those little irritations? I meditate on those. The tensions tensions of the world, the tensions of the job, the tensions of the day of driving or whatever. Sometimes the miseries, just the miseries of the world. And that's why fasting off Facebook and so social media is so helpful because that irks me sometimes. I look at, I, I, sometimes I've just said, what am I doing? I do not need to be looking at this. This is upsetting me and I really can't do anything. I can pray about it. That's it, but it's irking me. Turn that off. Because that's where I bask in shallow thinking, or sometimes I just bask in the momentary pleasures that are going on in life, and rarely ex really explore the riches of God's grace. That's where my thoughts need to be. If I'm mostly centered on complaining and worrying and grumbling, or my frustrations, then how can my mind be centered on the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus? They can't. Center on the riches of God's grace, there's going to be joy and peace. Riches of His grace means free forgiveness. He paid the price. We don't. It means full forgiveness, all of our sins, all of our sins, past sins, present sins, future sins. Friendship forgiveness. He's reconciled us. He, we're in a right relationship with God. And this leads me to full assurance, living in this condition of forgiveness. I live, the Bible says, in a condition of forgiveness. Not in a, a, a situation where God's waiting for me to do something in order for, to forgive me, but the power of the blood of Christ continually forgiving me of my sins. And then we come to this section where it talks about the wisdom and understanding in verse 8, 8 through 10. And the, the big question as I was studying this is, what is wisdom and understanding attached to? 
At this point, I don't know about you, but at, at, at this point, verse 9 and 10, latter part of verse 8, 9 and 10, kind of gets confusing. Maybe it's just clear, clear as it can be. You know exactly what it's saying. But for me, I kind of struggled with these verses. What is it saying? And so the question that a lot of people say is wisdom and understanding attached to the previous statement or into the coming statement because as I said this is just one long sentence and so it could be read like this in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance to God's grace that he lavished on us period some of your Bibles will do that and then it begins with all wisdom and understanding he has made known to us the mystery of his will and I, I, I pondered about that for a long time and I thought it doesn't matter Either way. <laughs> it's good either way. It's attaching God's wisdom and his understanding, you know, to the past, the, the forgiveness, or to the future, the, uh, the, uh, first, the next part of the sentence, to his, um, his, the mystery of his will. doesn't really matter. His wisdom and his understanding are part of our lives. I personally think it's to the mystery of his will, that's what we're, we're going to look at. Part of God's grace is giving us wisdom and understanding so we can know we can know this mystery what is wisdom wisdom is God's insights it's knowing God's way and as we study the scripture we can find out this is God's way read through the Proverbs read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount read through you know God's wisdom of going the second mile that is not worldly wisdom right worldly wisdom says just only do what you're required to do and God's wisdom says go beyond that go beyond that and so God's wisdom is God's insights, it's God's ways. And the understanding, the word for understanding, is the practical application to that wisdom. And so we find God's wisdom, and then we say, okay, how do I apply this to my life? Go the second mile. No Roman soldier has ever asked you to carry his bag for a mile, right? I doubt if anyone's asked you to carry his bag for a mile. That's just not part of our society. It's part of theirs. But we all know what it means to go the second mile. We have, to, uh, we have to make personal application in our daily life to our wife, to our husband, to our children, to our friends, to our workers, people around us. We go the second mile. We have to make the application in our own minds. That's what that word means. And so we're led into a mystery by God's wisdom, and we come to understand the practical application of this mystery. What is this mystery? First of all, it's not something that can't be understood. It's not like a mystery that you, I was going to use the word puzzle, but we can puzzle out things. Uh, this is not a puzzle we can't understand or a mystery that we can't understand, but it is something you can't understand if God did not reveal it to you. God had to reveal it. We would not have figured this out for ourselves. This could not be made up. God revealed it to us, and so he did reveal it to us, and so now it's an open secret. Now we know the mystery. Now we know what was once secret has now been shown to us. And this mystery is of his will. And this revelation that was once hidden, uh, a hidden mystery, is coming out of God's will. And this word means his desire. The word will is attached to emotions. If I spoke of my will, it would mean something that I want to happen. Something that gives me pleasure. It's, we could say, a heart's desire, something that I want. And so this mystery of God's will, revealing this mystery of God's will, this is God's desire, his want to. 
He, there's something that's coming from God's heart here. We could say this excites the Father. We kind of talked about this a few lessons ago when I said, what thrills God? This is something that thrills him. This is a grace. This is a gift that's given to us. And the Father's excited as we open this gift. And I just think about being excited when you give a gift to someone, a grandchild. You're going to give a, some of you don't have grandchildren, a child. You give someone a gift, and you've thought about it, and it's special to you, and you give them the gift. And what are you doing as they're opening the gift? You're just kind of, you're all excited too, aren't you? You're jumping around. And God is saying, okay, open up the gift, and guess what the wrapping paper is? It's Christ. Christ is a purpose in Christ, he said. The wrapping paper is Christ. And so this is, comes from his good pleasure. His delight is all wrapped up in Christ. This gift is Christ wrapped up. And then he opens it up. The mystery of his will. Verse 10. This is difficult. This is a difficult ver, uh, verse. I have two translations to show you a little bit of the difficulty. The one on the left. No, no don't put that up yet. Yeah, there you go. One on the left, I'm going to read that. It's NIV. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I grabbed the 21st century King James in the, this one on the right. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And so it's a little difficult, so I'm going to get a little technical. It's going to take me three minutes. If you don't like the technicality, you just want to just get to the point. I'm going to get to the point, all right? But give me three minutes to show, so I can show you. If you don't want the technicality, drift off to Fiji, drift off to <laughs> Siberia for three minutes. I'll call you back in a moment. The first word is one that Rondell used. This word, uh, go ahead and put that one up. Managing a house, oikonomia means managing a house. And when he said, my wife administers, some of your translation says administers. That's what he was saying. She manages the household finances. And so the translators are trying to say, well, how do, I, how do we make sense of this? And so some say dispensation. Some say uh, uh, administration. The NIV said to be put into effect. And so what this is saying is the mystery is coming together as planned or as managed. Just like you manage a household or your steward, Jesus used this word a lot in parables talking about the steward of a house. So he said this mystery is under the administration, under the stewardship, under the management of Christ. He's the one putting this all together. And when does this happen? He says, in the fullness of times. This is the only place that this is used, the fullness of times. And literally, it is the fullness of the times. Go ahead, click it again. It means the suitable times. It means the right time, the right moment. This did not come, God's opening up of his, of his mystery did not come in a haphazard way. This did not happen. It's not a coincidence. It's the right person doing the right thing at the right time, perfect timing. That's what it's saying. And then he says to bring together under one head, which is your next one, which is a translation of a 17-letter Greek word. That's for your entertainment. 
And that word means to sum up, to sum up things. When the Roman soldier in Acts chapter 22 was asking Paul, how did you become a Roman citizen? I paid a great price, the NIV says. I paid a great sum. He said, when you add up all the money I paid, it was a great sum, and that's the word he used. In the, in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, the point we are making, he's, he, uh, at the beginning of, of chapter 8, verse 1, and that word is the same word there where he says, to sum up everything I've been saying, here's the point. When I've added up everything I've been saying from chapter 1 through chapter 7, the point of what I'm saying is this. That's the same word. Our elders, well, let me add this. There's one thing added to that in this verse, and that's the first three letters. It's a prefix, Anna, which means again, again. Our elders, in their presentation back a few couple months ago, they said God's vision for his people is a humanity that is restored to the image of the Creator. And what that is implying is that the world broke in God's, in God's vision, or we could say His desire, His will, is for us, is for the, what, what once was will now be restored, will be a, uh, brought to where it needs to be. So, if you're in Siberia, wake up, come on back, come back from Fiji. Here's what it all sums up. All that says this. Click. Under Christ's management and control, at just the right time and with precise timing, all things in heaven and on earth are brought back once again under his rule. That's what it means. That's the open secret. This is what excites God. This is what God is excited about. He has made known at the cross that the Messiah, in the Messiah, all things are brought back together once again in its proper place and function. But you may say, but things aren't right. So many things are wrong. And all through Ephesians, you're going to get this tension of now but not yet. Now, but not yet. Now, something has been put into effect, and it's right. It's the way things are supposed to be. Yet, it's not complete. There's going to be a fuller bringing together of all these things where they need to be. And that's true throughout all the New Testament, not just here in Ephesians, but all throughout the New Testament. It says, you are new... And you're being made new. Hebrews chapter 10 that we read. You are perfect, but you're being made holy. You're saved, but ultimately there'll be a greater state of salvation. We're in a family relationship with God right now, but one day we'll see him face to face. It's a now and not yet reality that we live in. At the cross, all things began anew. And one day, they'll be gloriously new. What this means practically to us today is this. As Christians, we recognize that on the cross, 
something special happened. Something was revealed to us. This mystery was shown to us. Something that the world was looking, the angels were looking into, and they never knew what it was. And now we know this open secret. We recognize as Christians that on the cross, Christ's blood was giving, given so that we can begin a new life all over again. Our past is taken care of. This is what we realize. Our past is taken care of us. We, it will not be held against us. We are redeemed. Our present, we are ever learning how to live in this new state. We are forgiven. We live in a forgiven state. Our future is secure in, in him as we wait for this promised fuller redemption that is to come. We are assured of our future. And the world can't see this mystery. The world lives in guilt and cover-up. They put on a good face. They try to make up for all the wrongs they've committed. Sometimes they deny they've ever done anything wrong. That's the world in turmoil. They live by their own wisdom, trying to figure out life, trying to figure out the meaning of life, what they are to live for, what gives their personal life meaning. And if you doubt that, go on Facebook. You see it over and over and over. They look forward, the world looks forward, and all they can see in the distance is death. There's no assurance of anything beyond the grave. It's, it's just maybe, maybe, I don't know. There's no security there. But here's our application. We have good news. Under the Lordship of Jesus, under the Lordship of Christ, right now, all things are new in our lives. All blessings are ours. We are chosen people. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We're forgiven. And that's for everyone who places their faith in him. That's the open secret. We live it, we invite others to it, and we invite you to it. If you're in a position in your life right now where you're outside of that relationship, we're asking you to come in. It's a great, it's a learning relationship, it's a growing relationship. Our elders always come forward. They uh, accept you uh, for anything that you want to confess or ask for prayers, and we're going to do that together as Gary comes and leads us in uh, this song.